Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you so much for downloading and listening today. Uh, this episode all about free agency as we look at what's going on in the NHL and NBA. We'll talk about a big Blue Jays win last night and we'll look at some early UFC storylines. As always, you can find me on social media, Twitter for now, and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. Um, so yes, thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you all so much for listening and let's get to the show. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein. And this is, we had no idea. A podcast about world events that you know about, but might've fallen asleep for during history class or social studies. However, you learned history in high school. Each week we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, it has been a busy few days in the NHL and NBA, but now that things have kind of settled in, let's take a look at some of the, the big stories coming out of this. Obviously, my focus a lot is the Calgary Flames, as that is the city I live in, and that's a team I've covered for a very long time. So, um, let's start with them. And it feels like the Flames are in trouble right now, to me. Anyway, um, they do not have the cap space to do anything in free agency and whatever direction they were looking at going, they kind of need to go there because if you're looking to improve, if you wanted to take the route that I said, um, they could potentially go with this team and just saying like, look, last year was worst case scenario with how Daryl Sutter kind of treated the team. Um, then you can make a very compelling argument that all these guys are going to be better next time around and you can kind of roll with it that way. And so, yes, you can, you, I think you can very easily justify that. However, if you wanted to improve on the team, because look, like the, the team last year, even if everything goes perfectly well, like are they Edmonton or Vegas? Probably not. So you're looking to improve the team. Well, you've kind of run out of options. You know, like all of the free agents are pretty well gone. So, um, or a lot of the impact ones anyway, like there's still, there's some, there are some big names out there for sure. There are, I guess, but it, it just feels like some of the better options to improve your team and some of the quite frankly, more realistic options to improve your team are kind of gone. And you don't have a lot of the options because of uh, a lack of cap space. So if, if you wanted to go the route of, okay, you know what? Last year was worst case scenario. Let's go out and get better. Kind of ran out of time. If you wanted to go the, you know what? Let's blow it up. That This wasn't going to work. It is toxic. We have to absolutely burn this thing to the ground and salt the earth so nothing can grow from it and move into a different spot and grow there. Um, you've kind of run out of time on that too. Like if you want to blow things up, your options have kind of run out because a lot of these teams that were looking to potentially acquire some of these guys have gone out and acquired things like that. You know, like um, I'm sure like if Toronto needed to make a big William Nylander trade, the, the Flames have some of the stuff that I think Brad Living and the Leafs would be looking at, right? But aside from that, like if you're looking at, um, like Anaheim has been just blowing through cap space. Detroit has just been blowing through cap space. Some of these teams that might be looking for some of these big impact players have kind of already found a lot of the players that they are looking for. And so because of that, it is, I think, a little bit more challenging now for the, the Flames no matter what they're looking to do, um, like Anaheim still has a bunch of cap space. And I guess like there are teams that have space out there, Anaheim, Chicago, Arizona, Seattle, and Detroit. Um, 
so there, there are still some options, but it just feels like the flames are running out of time no matter what they're looking to do. And does it feel a little panicky because it's July 5th? Yeah, this feels a little panicky. But from a, a Calgary standpoint, if you wanted to, to really make a big move either way, it felt like that time was about a week ago. And now it feels like that time is very much running out on the Flames. Um, other teams that ha have made some impacts here, I kind of like what the Leafs are doing. Um, I think Klingberg is a touch of an overpay at 4.15, but after that, like Tyler Bertuzzi at 5.5, I don't know if I would want to hang out with the guy, but I feel like he provides a nice little spark for Toronto, and they're calling him a bunting replacement. He's kind of a bunting upgrade um, at this point. Like I said, Klingberg at 4.15 is uh, a bit more than I would like. Max Domi at 3. It's very obvious what they're doing, right? Reeves as well um, coming in. It's very obvious what they're doing. They're trying to add a bit of sandpaper to this team to make sure that this team can make a bit more of a run going into the postseason. Like, they have brought in guys to try to fit that mold. Now, um, keeping Ryan O'Reilly would have gone a long way to that. Would I have rather um, Ryan O'Reilly at 4.5 than Tyler Bertuzzi at 5.5? Maybe. Maybe I would have. Um, but clearly Ryan O'Reilly's sights were uh, set elsewhere, I believe. But for Toronto, I think this is a very strong offseason. Now, there are going to be questions around William Nylander the entire time, and I think that that is going to be kind of a thing that hangs over this entire offseason, is what does this team do with this core? Can they run it back with this core four one more time? I have not been a blow-it-up-in-Toronto person for the majority of this run, it's getting harder and harder to argue against it at this point. But I think that kind of shuffling some of the pieces around there has made things a little bit more tenable for Leaf fans to kind of take. And I think you look at Toronto and once again, they look like a team that can make some noise, at least in the regular season. A couple of deals I didn't like. Um, Kalorn to Anaheim for, uh, what was it here? $6.25 million a year at four years. Kalorn's 33. Like, this is this is the type of move that Boston can make. And, a, yeah, we don't fucking care. It's, it's, it, oh, he's going to be overpaid in the last two years of his contract? We're looking to win now. Don't give a shit. Um, it's the type of, year quite, type of contract, quite frankly, that I think Carolina can make because they're in kind of that win-now mode. And I think that all the hullabaloo around the Leafs has let people kind of forget that Carolina has once again completely flatlined at the most important time of year. So that they're in a bit of a win now mode. That's a team that can make this type of a move. A, a Tampa Bay, if they wanted to keep him around, could do that. You know, like there, there are teams that can justify it. Anaheim ain't one of them. The Ducks are still trying to come out of this rebuild that I have thought for the last three years that they were coming out of and then just didn't. And I felt before that they are kind of one big player away. That one big player isn't Alex Kalorn, um, nor is it Jason Zucker at 5.3. So I get they have the cap space, but you're still allowed to use it, you know, responsibly. Um, they still have to get to the, the lower limit of the salary cap. Uh, so I understand, like, some of these are whatever. It's the term on the Kalorn one that's just like, what the fuck are you doing there? Three years at $4 million for Radko Gudis. You can make all the claims you want to me that Radko Gudis is actually kind of underrated. You can't anymore at three by four. Like, it just, those are the rules. He's no longer overrated when he is getting paid $4 million a season. That That's just, that's, it, it's just, it's too much. And at three years, like, you're, you're hamstrung, you're hamstrunging, hamstringing, you're, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. 
I think, if you're Anaheim. So it feels like they have just been wildly overspending. Um, Comfort to Detroit, at least he's only 28, but I've never viewed JT Comfort as like a five to $6 million player. And that's where he's at right now at 5.1. So you have these younger teams that are kind of desperate to get out of the situations that they are in and really try to improve. This feels like a very un-Steve Eiserman type of a move to me. Um... It just feels like a touch of an overpay, and you're going to have to do that in free agency. If you don't overpay for anyone in free agency, you're just never getting anyone. But for these teams that are looking to to make these moves, and this is why coming out of these rebuilds can be so difficult, you you get a little bit desperate at times. And it seems like for Anaheim and Detroit, the patience has run out, and it's like, fuck it, who's out there? Alex Korn, he's won the cup before. Four years, let's roll. It, it just feels like desperation starts to set in, and that's what it feels like has happened with Anaheim and Detroit. Deals that I do like, Connor Brown to Edmonton seems to fit really, really well. Um, I thought they gave up a little bit too quickly on Costin and on Kyler Yamamoto, but you talk to people um, in Edmonton, and they disagree rather aggressively. So I, I will I will admit to being wrong on that one, but I think Connor Brown at one year at four makes a lot of sense for the Oilers and what they're looking to do. And I think it makes sense for Connor Brown. One year, play with Edmonton and kind of boost your value up and go back into free agency next year. I think that's a great move for him. Duchesne to Dallas. There's a, an interesting summer podcast on the career of Matt Duchesne and how weird it has been. But him at one year at $3 million makes a ton of sense for Dallas. And they continue to find these little value moves to stay competitive while now grossly overpaying Ben and Sagan for what they are getting out of those players. To be able to continue to find those bargain-type deals uh, Ben's contract is up at the end of next year. Sagan is still on the books until 26-27. That is, oh boy. Um, but the, it's these deals, man. Like, for what they're getting, $3.5 million for Pavelski is great. Um, Matt Duchesne at $3 million, I think, is a steal. Foxa at $3.25 million is great. Um, on the blue line... Uh, there's not a lot of deals on that blue line. Essel and Dell at 5.8, maybe, um... But, like, honestly, Heiskanen at 8.4 seems like a steal of a deal, quite frankly. Um, th this is a team that has done so well and is kind of a, a good example of, yeah, we have two albatrosses on our team. Like, Sagan and, and Ben take up a combined 23% of their salary cap space, and they're still coming out here and still being a competitive hockey team. So I, I think all the credit in the world to Dallas for another very, very smart move there. And Ryan O'Reilly to Nashville. Like, it's very clear the type of imprint that um, Barry Trotz is looking to put on the Nashville Predators right now with um, with Ryan O'Reilly. And there was another one too. Gus Nyquist at um, 3.185. I still, I'm not giving up on, on Gus Nyquist just yet. Um... I think that's a really, really smart move. Luke Shen, three years at 2.75. Cody Glass is a nice roll of the dice, I think, and they keep Alex Carrier around, which I think is an interesting move as well. I kind of like what Nashville has done so far this offseason. Moving into the NBA. Um, speaking of teams and uh, the, the value of their offseason, I hate what the Toronto Raptors have done over the last basically 18 months. Um, they have been so stubborn in trying to hang on to all of these pieces from the championship run that it, it is now a pretty remarkable list of players that have gone out the door for nothing. And 
it's it has been adding up and adding up and adding up. There is now, given how this offseason has gone, there is no excuse for what the Raptors did at the trade deadline. Um, to not move on from some of these players and not start this, um, quite frankly, there's no excuse for how they went into the 2023 season, um, the 22-23 season, knowing what was potentially at the end of the rainbow with a, a Victor Wembanyama or, quite frankly, Scoot or whoever um, for the Raptors. And it does seem like they, they got, they at least got the biggest personality of the draft with, um, with, with Dick there. But th- this is... This has been kind of a poorly run team for the last couple of years, and we give Masai Ujiri all the credit in the world, and rightfully so. Like, he 100% built that championship team, and some of the moves that he has made leading up to the last couple of years have been nothing short of brilliant, but he has quite frankly dropped the ball, and um, I'm not going to say the goodwill of the championship run has run out, but the moves that he has made in the last little bit has to make you question the front office of this team as like any kind of, cause before it was, you know what? Like that, the heat culture thing, you could kind of see that they were trying to build it in Toronto. You had Nick nurse kind of establishing that. And then you had a certain type of player that they, they were looking for with the Raptors and they were able like the, the, the whole situation around Tampa Bay was certainly a setback, but it leads to Scotty Barnes, a guy who you can maybe start to, build a foundation around and now a lot of that foundation is crumbling Nick Nurse is gone um Fred Van Vliet who set a lot of the tone for this team he is gone as well um it feels like Pascal Siakam is all but out the door and now you you have this team that is just it feels very mid and mid is the worst place to be in the NBA you guys know if you've listened to me for any length of time I am not quick to yeah just blow it up but the Toronto Raptors needed to just blow it up a while ago. It is a desperate attempt to hold on to relevancy, and it's not a good look for the Raptors. That being said, like I, I like the Fred Van Vliet move for the Rockets. It's a touch of an overpay. Um, three years for Fred Van Vliet at $42 million a season is a choice, for sure. Um, but if you're looking to, again, set that tone, set that culture with a young team looking to take the next step, it's a lot of money to pay to do that, but I think it's a smart one with Fred Van Vliet. I don't know what the hell they're doing with four years at 20 for Dylan Brooks. If you wanted to go like two at 20, maybe that makes a little bit of sense. To lock into that dude at four years just seems like a lot. And it seems like... like the best case scenario of Dylan Brooks is the exact type of guy you want around that team. But the worst case scenario of Dylan Brooks is the exact opposite guy you want around a young team that kind of had a bunch of ego type of players anyway. It just, that felt like way, way, way too much, in my opinion, anyway. Um, the Portland situation is very weird. Signing Jeremy Grant to five years at $32 million a year while knowing Damian Lillard wants out it just makes no sense to me at all. Again, it's trying to, um, I think they're going to try to stay competitive, but the, the window is not now for them. And sometimes window talk can be frustrating, but the timing just doesn't line up with Jeremy Grant and and with this roster. So I don't know if they're going to look to try to flip him at some point, or if they're still hoping that they can keep Damian Lillard around. But it, it just, it feels like the direction that they're going to go and the direction that this contract signifies don't add up even a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll stick with the day with Portland here. Um, as Damian Lillard wants a trade. And at this point, it feels like the Miami heat need to make that trade, not want anymore. Um, but 
kind of need to make this deal, the, the way this offseason has gone so far for the Heat. Max Struess is gone. Uh, Gabe Vincent is gone. Uh, not that he was a massive part of it, but Cody Zeller is gone um, as well. They they were able to keep Kevin Love and bring in Josh Richardson and, and Thomas Bryant. So, like, those are fine moves, but... Struess and Vincent, at various different points, were huge parts of what they were doing. Um, you have Udonis Haslam, who's retiring. Again, not a huge blow to the team. But at this point, for Miami to take another step and continue to build off of what was an incredible playoff run, um, the team that they have now, I don't know if it's enough. It's another year of Kyle Lowry. Is Robinson going to be back to, to what he was a couple of years ago based off of a couple of good games in the playoffs? Uh, maybe, but I don't know if I'm banking on that. We'll see what happens with, with Tyler Hero. But at this point for, for Miami, Dame Lillard feels like a need if they're going to continue to improve and maybe take some of the pressure off of Jimmy Butler and also replace what they got from guys like Struess and guys like Vincent. Now, we're saying that it's not like Struess and Vincent were um, high-level prospects who came in. The Heat are very good at just finding guys and turning them into high-priced properties, but eventually that magic runs out, and for Miami, I think, to be competitive in an East that feels wide open, Damian Lillard now feels like a necessity for that squad, but I don't know if they have the bullets to, to end up making that happen. Um, speaking of Gabe Vincent, I love that deal to LA perfectly. Like, he feels like he was made in a lab to go play with LeBron James, and the Lakers who I think you can make a very, very compelling case given how they handled the trade deadline last year. They make an excellent move to, to go out and uh, acquire a, a Gabe Vincent. They make a fantastic bit of uh, work to, to go out and get a Torian Prince. And now I think you have to look at this Laker roster as one that is kind of a force to be reckoned with. And, and right now, that number two spot anyway in the West is up for grabs. D um, Denver, I think, quite obviously holds number one. But I think I might like what the Lakers are doing more than what um, one Phoenix is doing right now. This has been an excellent offseason for the LA Lakers. couple moves I didn't like. Um, I don't love the, the Draymond Green to, to, to Golden State. I understand why you're doing it. I think part of it is I'm just going to be frustrated by, oh, it's the last dance, last dance for Golden State, last dance. We were saying that last year, too. You don't get two last dances, but we, we've been there before. Um, it, it just feels like given everything that they need with the... Um, with, with the luxury tax and all of that, it just felt like it was too much of a, oh, well, they have to keep Draymond. Do they? Do, he has moments. For sure he has moments where he looks like the best defensive player in the league. 100% he does. And I'll, quite frankly, to, to say it's just moments does feel a little belittling. But given where they are at with the luxury tax and all of that, I don't know if I love that one. Um, Milwaukee did have to keep Middleton around three at 34. Um, they are just locked in now on let's make this around Giannis as strong as possible. And we'll figure out later, later. Other than that, like there hasn't been a, what the hell are you doing? Bruce Brown um, to Indy is great. That's a tough one for, for Denver to lose. But I, I like Bruce Brown to, to go out. It's a, quite a bit of money, but he's, I think, going to go out, be able to put up some some real good numbers and come in as either a, a very valuable trade chip or a good part of the, the next step for the, the Indiana Pacers. Aside from that, there hasn't been like a, like Orlando's offseason hasn't been good. Um, I, I thought they kind of stubbed their toe at the draft and now like the big free agent signing is Ingles. I don't know if that's the, the move that's going to let this young team take the next step in the Eastern Conference. So I haven't loved Orlando's offseason so far. Moving into the world of baseball, the Toronto Blue 
Blue Jays with a crucial win last night over the Chicago White Sox. I had it written down in my weekly plan, Blue Jays panic button, because I am I am right there talking about, not just like for this season, but kind of big picture with the Blue Jays. Um, but last night, Vlad Guerrero Jr. delivers the exact big hit that this team has been missing for so much of this year. And for him to do that in that moment... We've said it a bunch with this team, but maybe that is the thing that kind of gets this team back to to where they need to get to, because those hits have been severely lacking for this Blue Jays team this year. Now you have Barrios going out there in Game 2, and a chance to, to win this series for the Jays and get back on track as they sit on the outside looking in on the playoff picture right now. I am worried they are rushing Manoa back, and this is what happens when you have exactly five big league starters in your organization, but... One good outing in double A, and it sounds like the, the first one where all the numbers look really bad. Um, there might have been some play behind him that made it worse than it actually was. But either way, two rehab starts is all we needed to get this guy back into all-star form. I don't believe that for a second. This feels extremely rushed from a Blue Jays perspective. And some early, but not quite as early UFC storylines as the, the long weekend has kind of thrown things off for me uh, with the, the timing of everything. But uh, UFC 290, I believe it is, goes this weekend. Um, man, it's funny. When it was like... I could tell you everything about UFC 77, but now 290 bleeds into 280, bleeds into 270. Um, it is UFC 290, there you go. But I think that there are a few really interesting stories, even if there isn't a fight that's like, oh man, this is a barn burner. There's a lot of minus 200 on the, the UFC card this weekend. But Alex Volkanovsky, um, what does he do? How does he respond to a difficult setback as he lost in his last fight to Islam Makashev? A fight that I actually thought Volkanovski might have won, um, but he loses in Australia. It ends an extremely long win streak. Uh, he is, I think, the most well-rounded fighter in the sport right now, but we have seen before when guys are on a roll and then it gets stopped, it is tough to get that ball going back up the hill. So we will see what he does against Yair Rodriguez, who is kind of now reaching the potential people thought he had five or six years ago. So it's an intriguing matchup in the UFC 290 main event. Um, also from this one, Bo Nickel back in the spotlight as one of the top prospects in the UFC, the next glory child for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, now faces promotional newcomer Val Woodburn, um, who checks in at 4-0. There's a lot of hype around Bo Nickel, and it seems like the last few uh, glory children for the Ultimate Fighting Championship haven't really worked. So, is this guy more John Jones, or is he more Sage Northcutt? Time will tell, but we will see. It's just exciting to see this prospect get another opportunity in the cage, and while one bright, shining light just begins its ascent, uh, we have another that is wrapping up. As I said before, the frustration about the last dance narrative. Well, it is the last dance for Robbie Lawler as he retires after this one. One of the great careers in the history of mixed martial arts comes to a close this weekend in the feature prelim on ABC as he takes on Nico Price in the welterweight division. Robbie Lawler, former welterweight champion, one of like the... Like, he is... First ballot Hall of Famer, mainly just for an MMA Hall of Fame, but also for an all-violence Hall of Fame. He is that dude. Um, at his peak, one of, like, just... 
you look at uh, Sure Dog, 2010 All Violence Second Team, 2014 All Violence First Team, 2015 All Violence First Team, 2014 Fight of the Year, 2015 Fight of the Year, 2016 Fight of the Year, and that's not just Sure Dog. That's also MMA Fighting. Um, it is Bleacher Report. It is the Wrestling Observer. This is a guy who came out and entertained nonstop his entire career, and he gets one last ride. It has not been a graceful end to his career, but we get an opportunity to see it one more time at UFC 290. Um, all right, just quickly, it is time now for today's ticket. Not a huge ticket by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we only have three items on the ticket so far today. We are going with the Toronto Blue Jays, looking to bounce back from, or looking to keep rolling from that win over the Chicago White Sox yesterday. Uh, the Blue Jays sending Jose Barrios out to the mound against Lance Lynn, who has struggled mightily this season. Uh, the Blue Jays are plus 140 at Bet365 to win this by a run and a half. We are absolutely going to go with that one. And a couple fights on the UFC card that uh, I think are really interesting. Like I said, the odds are not in our favor on a lot of these, but I think Daniel Hooker is a very live dog against Jalen Turner. I think he's getting a bit disrespected here. I'm going to go with Hooker as a, an underdog play at plus 215, and I'm also going to go with Jimmy Crute as a, a slight favorite against Alonzo Menafield. Going to go with him at minus 118. So just three items on the ticket today. The Blue Jays to win by a run and a half against the White Sox, Daniel Hooker to beat Jalen Turner, and Jimmy Crute to beat Alonzo Menafield. Uh, Menafield, sorry. We will hit track, and that is today's ticket. And that is today's show. Thank you all so much for downloading. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find me on social media as long as Twitter lasts. I'm going to be there at Primetime Klein. Same thing goes with Instagram, twitch.tv slash PK, and you can email the show, Diary at yahoo.com. Like I said, the schedule is all out of whack given how uh, the, the week started with the, the, the holiday, but we are getting back on track. Later on today, it'll be your CFL episode as we do power rankings and we make our picks for the upcoming week in the Canadian Football League. So uh, that's what's coming up tomorrow. We continue our UFC 290 look with the legacy look at Jose Aldo. The featherweight championship is up for grabs and the featherweight champion certainly is making a claim to be the best to have ever done it at 145 pounds. The man who holds that title, I think we need to remember how good he was. So we look at the legacy of Jose Aldo coming up on Thursday. Friday is the full fight preview. And then at some point this weekend, um, summer plans will keep us from doing it live right after the show. But at some point this weekend, we're going to have a UFC 290 breakdown. So that's what's coming up the rest of this week here on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will talk to you all later.